This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Fearscape Media Network. Exploring the unknown, one podcast at a time. Hi, do you enjoy diving into true crime and tales of the paranormal? Then join us. I'm Anna. And I'm Lindsay. On our podcast, Ghosts in the Attic, Bodies in the Basement. A Fearscape Media Network podcast. New episodes air every other Friday on wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hey everybody, it's Josh Rutledge, your co-host for Fearscape Paranormal Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to support us more, please head over to our website, fearscapepodcast.com. There you can click on store and browse some really awesome t-shirts and maybe pick a couple up or even go to our Patreon page and see how you can support us monthly. We love bringing you awesome content just as much as you like listening to it. Enjoy the show. The following program is presented for entertainment purposes. WCHQ does not necessarily endorse the ideas presented. Fearscape is a program that explores the legends and lore around many creepy and scary things. Information is researched and presented in an entertainment fashion and is presented based off of what we found. The legends have a way of changing over time, so... Beware. Fearscape. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to Fearscape FM here on 100.9 WCHQ FM here with the spooky crew duo, myself, Stefan Gearhart, alongside my co-host, Mr. Brad McQuarrie here as always holding things down, holding this chair to the ground because gravity is not real. It's a myth. It is a myth, ladies and gentlemen, and we'll do a whole episode on gravity sometime. No. The movie with Sandra Bullock. No, d- d- double no. <laughs> double no. Double no on that. That's a good movie. I've, I haven't seen it, as I'm sure you're not surprised, but <laughs> I've seen enough in terms of like what it's about to be like, eh, if I don't go, if I go the rest of my life not seeing this, I'm fine. Just like it the Goonies. A, it was a pretty good movie. Um, you know, that one I think you'd like more than Goonies because I think Goonies has been way too hyped for you now. Uh, it really has. Um, Especially so, the Goonies sleeve that you've gotten yeah. since you started like hyping up to yeah. me. Like, this is so much, it's awesome. I went and got a sleeve. Yeah, like, right in my elbow on. pit, you can see Sloth right yeah. there. He's super awesome. See, I know who Sloth is. So good. I'm not completely good. dumb to Goonies. I just you're, you're not. You're it. not dumb ever. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. You're yeah. an intelligent, uh, beautiful human being. You is <laughs> smart. Stop. You is kind. You is smart. You is kind. <laughs> you are, is flamboyantly awesome. Are we still in, uh, where were we last week? Where were we? Yeah. I don't know. I can't remember. What's, what, what, what town were we in last week for FM? Oh, for FM, we were in uh, Monroe County. Monroe County, okay. I thought we were Monroe still there for a second. County. Well, uh, let's Shout get... out to our Monroe peeps. Yeah, Monroe peep peep. Uh, so we are moving right along. We have an episode today where we're going to be covering three different Sasquatch stories. Squatch, Squatch Watch. Now, it's not necessarily a story on Squatches, um, but we've just... There are three, well, two legendary legends... That are here in Kentucky, not including the dog man that we mentioned dog in Monroe man. County. We're going to be talking about the hillbilly beast. What if the dog man was part pug? Po- probably. Uh, we're going to be talking about the hillbilly beast. We're going to be talking about the Kentucky wild man, as well as a very detailed and very long listener story that comes from someone from eastern Kentucky that has his own personal Bigfoot story. His own, his own Squatch story? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a humdinger. 
humdinger of a story, and uh, it's it's a big one, much like the Sasquatch you saw. I feel like right now there just needs to be, uh, if we were on television, there would be a banner going across those, do 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 Squatch Watch 2019. Squatch Watch 2019. Brought to you by the Spooky Crew and WCHQ. Yep. Oh, that made that, <laughs> that did rhyme. Good. That was right. nice. See, I told you, you're intelligent. Yeah, you smart. is smart. I is smart. You are uh, like, like DJ Khaled. You is smart. You is loyal. Go buy yourself a house. Go buy yourself <laughs> two houses. All right, we've got like I said, a humdinger of an episode. So we're gonna humdinger. just go ahead and skip right through creepy catch up and head straight into spooky news. Yeah, ain't got nothing anyway. All right, spooky news. What do we got on the news desk? This comes from Disclose.tv, one of my personal favorite yeah, websites. like I am digging this website so much lately. Like, sometimes I'm like, mm, is that really news? But then other times I'm like, wow. <laughs> Please be real. <laughs> so today's is Jonathan, a tortoise who was hatched in the 1830s and is still alive today. We live in a world that is full of many weird and wonderful things, and Plantanium House on the small island of St. Helena is no exception to this. It sits proudly among gumwood trees alive with crisp and whistles, full of a wide variety of fauna. In addition to this, the area is also the official residence of Mark Capes, the governor of the British Overseas Territories in the South Atlantic, unfortunately for him, though... The governor isn't the main attraction in St. Helena. Jonathan and his friends are. Who is Jonathan and why is he famous? Jonathan, Myrtle, and Frederica are three of the five giant tortoises who live on St. Helena. There are also two others, David and Emma, but those are a bit shyer and so are hiding in the rough. There's also Dan, Steve, and Rick. Dan's working on a (laughs) stand-up. He doesn't have time for much else. Jonathan may be the oldest living land creature. At 182 years old, he is almost two centuries old. Joe Hollis, the one and only vet on the island, says he is virtually blind from cataracts, has no sense of smell, but his hearing is still good and well. What makes Jonathan more special than the other giant tortoises? Tortoises have always been famed for their size and long lifespan, regularly reach triple figures. However, Jonathan is a rare... Cyshacellus Giants. That sounds right. That man, that sounded like a salad of some sort. Maybe like a squash salad? I'll take the Cyshacellus salad. <laughs> he and his buddies come from the Alabarba Atoll in the Indian Ocean. The population of the Giants reaches 100,000. So there are 100,000 of these turtles in the world. Woo! But only one small breeding population of tortoises exists today. As to why or how Jonathan ended up on St. Helena, no one can really say for sure. The leading theory is he got there during the 17th century when ships that contained hundreds of easily stacked tortoises, like a fast food takeaway, were traveling all over the world. In the Galapagos Islands alone, it's estimated that over 200,000 tortoises were killed and eaten at this time. Perhaps Jonathan avoided this fate by becoming the intriguing exotic pet of Hudson Janish, who was the governor in the 1880s. It is thought that he was brought to the island as a mature adult in 1882. Since then, 33 governors have come and gone, and nobody wants Jonathan to die on their watch. The current governor, Mr. Capes, is certainly keen to ensure that he is treated with the respect, attention, and care that he definitely deserves. Due to his blindness, finding vegetation and food was often difficult for Jonathan, and this eventually led to becoming malnourished. This had consequences in itself, with his skin becoming dry and his beak becoming blunt and soft, when it should be extremely sharp. A little soft beak. <laughs> Don't be mean to Jonathan. Sorry. Which has added to his difficulty, eating. Since then, a new feeding regimen has been put in place, and Joe now delivers a bucket full of fresh fruits and vegetables to Jonathan every Sunday morning. With this extra nutrition boost, his skin has returned to being supple and looking plump. His beak has also become a deadly weapon for anyone daring to poke a carrot near his mouth. While no one really wants to talk about it, the death of Jonathan is inevitable. The date is uncertain. Maybe he'll live for another 20 or 30 years. Who knows? When he does eventually pop his shell, though, that sounds terrible. It does sound terrible. It will be a very sad day for both his keepers and his friends, let alone the rest of the world. A detailed plan has already been written to ensure everything goes smoothly. 
It has been dubbed Operation Go Slow. Stuffing him was a thought, but has since been decided that it is an outdated practice and would be quite morbid thing to do such an iconic animal. Instead, his shell will be removed, preserved, and go on display in St. Helena. And also, they will be creating a life-size bronze statue of him. Now that's cool. Oh, soft beak. So I don't know when your birthday is, Jonathan, but happy birthday. Happy birthday. Congratulations. I hope you hit 200, bro. 200. We're going for 200. All right. Hashtag 200, bro. All right, blanket huggers, get on the Twitters and the Instagrams. Tag us at Fearscape Pod and use the hashtag 200, bro. Go, go, Jonathan. Or uh, hashtag soft beak. I don't know. Can we say it on the radio? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Soft beak. I mean, yeah. All right. Anyways, that was spooky news. I should become a professional bra 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 on the radio. Yeah. Well, you gotta you gotta you gotta you gotta get that uh DJ voice a little bit more. So, hey, what we got right here? We got Jonathan the Turtle. He's gonna be <sighs> he's he's going to be four thousand years old. Uh he's gonna see Jesus come back. That feels forced. It is forced. <laughs> I just wanna be me, baby. I just wanna be me. I just want this is Brad. Hi, this Brad is McQuarrie. Anyways, uh speaking of uh Wild Man Brad, let's talk about the Kentucky Wild Man. Like I said, we got a uh we're going to hit a couple of legends, and so the first one we're going to hit is the Kentucky Wildman because uh, I think that this is one of the oldest. Mm. I think. Mm. You think a lot of things. I do. Now, granted, mm. like I said, Taylor County and Greene County had sightings of Yeti back in 1898, uh, and this very first article here that's referenced is in 1907. You know, uh, Jefferson County, where we are, had a sighting in 2016. Really? Mm-hmm. That could have just been Terry Miners. Maybe. I'm also thinking that maybe he is actually Michael Myers. Oh, okay. From uh, Shrek? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So here, here's some info on the Kentucky Wildman. So uh, in March 27, 1907, there was a Nevada-based newspaper called the Reno Evening Gazette. I would read it. And it ran a story with the very eye-catching title of Wild Man Startles People of Kentucky. If you put Florida in front of it, it'd be more believable. Right, yeah. It would say Wild Man Startles People of Florida. Or Florida Wild Man Florida Startles Wild People Man. of Kentucky. Right. <laughs> well, the, there was actually uh, a subtitle as well. Oh. It said, Hairy Creature Seen by Farmhand, and both are so scared that they prepare to run. Now I keep seeing Florida. Florida Hairy Creature Seen by Farmhand. <laughs> uh, well, and here's what's interesting. Like I said, this ran in Reno. Wow. Like, so anyways... The story began, information has been received here that the people in the country around Buena Vista, a village of Girard County, are much excited over reports that a wild man has high haunts in the Kentucky River Hills near that place. (laughs) A party is being organized to explore a cave where the creature is believed to have his lair and attempt to capture him. Bring your streamers. This was news. (laughs) This was news in a legit newspaper in 1907. Oh, who's bringing the cups? And the saga continued that one Jim Peters, who was a farmhand working for a man named S.D. Scott, the postmaster there in Buena Vista, encountered the hair-covered man-thing in Bowman's Woods in the vicinity of High Bridge. Peters believed that the wild man was attracted by the scent of his dog. Indeed, in the presence of a hair-covered thing, Peter's dog responded by yelping and showing every evidence of extreme fright. Yelp! He's over here! Hi, Yelp! Hi, Yelp! Hi! Daddy! Hi! I'm not, I'm not gonna get him. I ain't getting him. That's you. You're the human master. You get him. Get out of the tree. Get out of the tree. No! No! Squatch ain't gonna squatch himself. Get out of the tree. But here's the thing. Peters was just as scared as the dog was. <laughs> uh, He's in the tree with him. Uh, it's especially good when the creature approached to within 60 feet of them. <laughs> the writer of the newspaper article detailed what happened next. Peter says that he was too frightened to run and that the apparition kept its eye on the dog until asked what it was doing there. Unsurprisingly, the hairy man beast failed to respond in English or in any known language. Instead, it turned and vanished into the woods. Fortunately, Peters had been able to get a good look at the monster. He described it as having long, dark, wild hair, a completely hairy body of dark appearance, wore a coonskin tied about its loins, and had claw-like talons instead of fingernails. All right, just a thought. So you know that internet viral thing that was going around for a while where people would put blankets up in front of them Mm -hmm. and then drop it and vanish and their animals would freak out? We did a video. Yeah, what if the Squatch was doing that? What if he like picked up a blanket and was like, oh, you see me? 
You see me? <laughs> and now I'm gone. We're like, we see you running in the woods. No, you don't. It was really just John Goodman. <laughs> uh, but anyways, when petrified, Peter finally made it back to Buena Vista. He he told his boss, uh, S.D. Scott, like we talked about, what had just went down. And uh, the boss, seeing that Peters was serious, he you know first first he tried to see if the guy was pulling a prank on him, but realized that wasn't happen. So this is a pretty common theme among the paranormal. Like, for sure, are you being serious? Right, like, but really? Scott was like, okay, it's not a prank. So he gets together a posse, like not the insane kind. No, well, I mean they were, but they because they wanted to track down what they believe was some sort of Sasquatch, Bigfoot, Yeti like creature. Although the creature was never found, its tracks were seen in the mud of the riverbank, and local children and women were said to be too scared to leave their homes, while the most popular theory, albeit an extremely unlikely one, taking into consideration the physical appearance of the thing, mm -hmm. was that the man monster was actually, now get this, John Cena. John Cena! I was right? No. Yes. Uh, oh. Was actually an escaped lunatic from a nearby asylum. <laughs> Evidently, though, the wild man got wind of the fact that he was being hunted and headed off for new pastures, and he has not been seen again in Bowman Woods. Wow. That, so that's, it, that's an interesting thought that it could have been just like an escaped convict from like a insane asylum. And he's like, I'm just covered. I'm just really hairy. Guys, stop chasing me. Yeah. Hey, man, I'm just I'm hungry. I was uh, I drive for Uber every now and then, you know, just to make some extra money mm -hmm. and I picked up uh, a group of girls the other day and they were talking about how during the storm we had like a few weeks back they were at a park and there was like this little chihuahua that was lost and shaking and scared so they went to the gas station got like cheese and meat and started throwing it to like try to get its attention throwing the cheese and meat not the, mm -hmm. not, not the chihuahua <laughs> and I just had this thought in my head of you know to them they're like throwing this stuff at the chihuahua trying to get its attention and trying to like make it feel happy in the chihuahua sense it's like this has been the worst day of my life and now people are throwing things at me yeah exactly so I wonder if that's that's this person or this Sasquatch is like today's just been rough I looked at myself in a mirror I've never seen a mirror before but I don't like the way I look and now people are chasing me because of the way I look this is just awful yeah and what if he's what if he's half man half squatch Ooh, Mansquatch. Yep, Mansquatch. Uh, but I want to give reference to this really great book where I found the information. It's a book called The Monster Book, Creatures, Beasts, and Fiends of Nature. Uh, it's written by Nick Redfern. Uh, I actually discovered this guy on NPR. Um, mm. He was talking about stuff. And then I heard him again on Coast to Coast. It was like within the same week. So I guess this book was just coming out. Yeah. Um, but I went ahead and bought the book. And it's really cool. And uh, one of the price tag say? $333.33? Yeah, I got it on a discount for like 20 Wow. Uh, but anyways, uh, it's wow. really good. And in fact, one of the episodes we're going to be covering later, Kentucky Goblins is mentioned here. That's where I first got wind of mm -hmm. the uh, Kelly Hopkins encounter and stuff like that. It's a book. fun encounter. It's it's pretty <laughs> cool, yeah. So this book is I highly recommend that. Anyways, that that is the Kentucky Wild Man. I'll tell you what I got over here. I got the Hillbilly Beast. Hey y'all <laughs> Now uh <laughs> I'm just gonna have a vet moment real quick. When I'm doing research, I like to read. I love to just read my research. I don't like to watch my research. So when I was looking up Hillbilly Beast Everything I found was watched. It was like Monster Quest, something like that. Mm -hmm. Like Monster Quest, uh, the show, I don't know where it is, I never watched it. But it has like a 99% of the information on it. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if they've like cited it to where it can only be on that website or on that show or whatever Maybe, it is. Or it was just, you know, the it's not a huge story. So. Yeah. Because uh, Monster I, Quest is a pretty good show. Yeah. And I was I was looking around because uh, there's a bunch of places, like different websites you can go to to help you like discover different uh like Bigfoot sightings and stuff like that mm -hmm. around the country. And I was looking it up and I cannot find anything on Hillbilly Beast, but I did find the legend of the Hillbilly Beast, which I found interesting. So I will go ahead and share that with you now. All right, yeah. Hit us hit us hit us up hard. Hey y'all Hey, what what did they say in Monroe County when the ghost was there? Do you remember? I can't remember. I can't either. <laughs> to, uh I guess we can hop on the app and find out. Yeah. The WCHQ no. app. It's okay. There is certainly no shortage of monster stories in the world. Accounts of fiends, brutes, and behemoths, mer-monsters, sasquatch, and devious little nameless gnomes have been woven from mysterious bumps and growls in the darkness since the dawn of time. There is, however, something about the unsettled expanses of the southern wild that lend themselves well to the perpetuation of these stories. I'm going to say that again. There is, however something about the unsettled expanses of the southern wild that led themselves well to 
the perpetuation of these stories, as the creatures that used to roam the murky gloom of uncharted woodland have been regulated to the realm of bedtime stories and campfire tales by the steady encroachment of street lamps. The preservation of the southern landscape has ensured that it's less easily... Alright, hold on a second. Pause. Pause a second. This is fucking boring. Mm-hmm. So let's just skip straight to it. While the Yeti huddles in the chilly corners of the Himalayas and Nessie dodges sonar beams and motor blades in Loch Ness, the pride of the south, the hillbilly beast, roams the cypress swamps of Kentucky unchecked. Between 8 and 10 feet tall, 800 pounds, and covered in a luxurious carpet of foot-long, swamp-dampened hair. Wouldn't really call it luxurious. The hillbilly beast is a relatively straightforward match in the lineup of average Sasquatches. Many-ish. Many-ish Sasquatches. Many-ish. Yet, the particular tenor of this brand is uniquely Southern. Droves of camel-clad coon hunters, silent mushroom pickers, and would-be late-night canoodlers that's a that's a word i ain't heard canoodler in a long time you're welcome (laughs) gather on online forums to share their multi-sensory experiences with the beast with an apparent affinity for stealing hogs cats and scouring vegetable patches the gustery enthusiasm of the hillbilly beast leaves no stone unturned notice he doesn't steal dogs he's smart yeah uh he does steal stones though apparently he hates stones they just get in his way Some have escaped falling under the yellow-eyed leer of the beast and have only heard his trademark yowl echoing through the swamp. Hey! Help! Hey, y'all! While others claim that the beast is silent, only expressing territorial threats by hurling large stones <laughs> into their paths or through reverberating warnings made by beating trees' trunks with dead sticks. Do, 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 do. Don't don't want to use those alive sticks. No, don't want to use the live ones. Use the dead ones. A smaller sect swears that the beast communicates with them through telepathy, which is interesting because uh, the Goat Man. We mentioned that in the Goat mm-hmm. Man episode. Mm-hmm. It's it's a uh, common cryptid thing. Hmm. Though, as is often the case, recording such communications has proven difficult. Though many of today's stories tend to bear the mark of modernity. Overturned vehicles and terrified television crews, one should not assume that the advent of the hillbilly beast's popularity is recent. The tales of the beast can be tracked back to the long before settlement as we know it has arrived. The Cherokee people still share the stories passed down from their ancestors. Cherokee people! Legends that describe a wizened, mythical, man-like creature stalking the woods and endued with supernatural powers. Later, settlers used the mysterious hill critters as scapegoats for disappearing livestock and as threats to intimidate particularly unruly children. Even Daniel Boone, noted fearless explorer and hyperbolic historian, was said to have re-encountered a run-in with a hair-covered bipedal giant that chased him through the hills of Kentucky. It could have been the Kentucky Wild Man. It could, but it also could have been the Hillbilly Beast. It could have been a Squatch. Could have been a Dog Man. Could have been a pug. Mm. Large pug. Very large pug. That's called unhealthy. (laughs) So yeah, that's Hillbilly Beast. (laughs) So today, does the legend still exist? It does. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, obviously, it talked about like uh, cars getting thrown and things like that. And it's interesting. There's a lot of similarity between it and the wild man. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I mean, you know... uh, in Eastern Kentucky and in those places, there were a lot of people that very much lived off the grid. Uh, who knows? Who knows? Could have been something along those lines. Could have been a Squatch. I mean, we are here on Squatch Watch 2019. Squatch Watch 2019. Uh, but yeah, it could have been any of those things. There's a lot of stuff it could be. <laughs> you know, I was on that website looking up uh, different Bigfoot sightings, and there's uh, there's some counties... There's like maybe a handful of counties, maybe like 10, that have not had any sightings, but the rest of Kentucky has. Has had a lot. Like when I was looking into Union County, um, at this one farm, there's like three separate sightings. Just at one farm? Yeah. Jeez. And uh, just different stuff like that. Plus, you know, we've talked about already uh, the different sightings. Uh, 
So people, if you're out there, if you've got some sort of Sasquatch, some sort of hillbilly beast, some sort of wild man of Kentucky, some dog man, or anything like that, or let us pug. know. Or a Or yeah. Or we, a pug. we just love pugs. We do. Uh, let us know. We're very, very curious as to uh, if anyone has any personal sightings themselves. Because we, we would like to know. Now, I did, since we were uh, going to do a Sasquatch-oriented episode, I did do a poll on the Facebooks. On the Squatch Watch. On the Squatch Watch. Uh, asking people, let me see here. I asked people, do you believe there are Sasquatches or Bigfoots roaming the woods of Kentucky? And so I put this out there to not mm-hmm. only our podcast listeners, but to our WCHQ listeners. Uh, and um, overwhelmingly, surprisingly, 71% said, nope, not real. Wow. And only 29% said yes. Bunch of skeptics. That they believe that now I didn't say our Sasquatch is real. Mm-hmm. I said, do you believe that they're roaming the woods of Kentucky? Mm-hmm. And so 71% of our listeners said, nope, not real. Well, if they say, nope, not real. Then they don't think the Sasquatch is real. Sure. I guess so. Uh, but uh, we, we Which do I have... have that same opinion about the Chupacabra, but we'll cover that in our podcast. Yeah, we will. <laughs> uh, but I absolutely, I think there are for sure, especially with this listener story I'm going to be reading for you today. Which is 37 pages long. It's it's really long, and um, it's a really good story, though. And so just a reminder to everyone, uh, you can send in your listener stories to us at uh, fearscapestories at wchqfm.com. You can send those to us. And uh, we will read those on air. Uh, we can, you know, do whatever you need for us to do to those. They don't have to be, you know, 10 pages long like this one is. They don't <laughs> have to be a page long. They can be however long your story is. It doesn't have to be glorified uh, like it's a good short story writer. Just tell us your experience. That's all we want to know. Yeah, even if it's just two sentences. I was home alone. Saint a ghost. We'll Saint a ghost. We'll share. I, I, Saint a haint. Uh, just tell us that. Uh, so this story comes from a friend of our third co-host on the podcast. His name is Randy. Uh, he's keeping his last name out for anime. Our third co-host is Kelly. Yeah. That's the way I... you said that made it sound like Randy's our oh, third co-host. Oh, no. <laughs> it's a friend of Kelly's. Uh, and so this is this is intense. So I'm just... He's got a great Sasquatch story, and I'm just going to go right into Let's roll. The story begins in the headwaters of the Rock Castle Fork of the Tug River, dividing Kentucky and West Virginia in Martin County, Kentucky. The Rock Castle has several main forks in the stream, but the setting of these incidents occurs in the uppermost headwaters of this fork of the Rock Castle Fork in the Coldwater Fork. The specific area is located in its uppermost reaches in the Lindbark Fork of Old Road Fork. The junction of Old Road Fork and Lindbark Fork was an official post office bearing the name of the local family that lived in the area. For anonymity, the name of the post office will not be mentioned as it was named for the local families that are my direct ancestors, and some people would be embarrassed and possibly harassed concerning these incidents. This post office was located in a mercantile store along with a few houses around the post office. Now, in this day and age, one has to look hard to see signs of human life in the form of picket fences, barbed wire fence lines, and an occasional old rotted house foundation. It existed in the 1800s and was moved downstream as the families moved downstream in the early years of the turn of century in the 1900s. It's a really rough and remote area. Now, this is a lot of information for several paranormal events, except to say that nothing has been in that area for many, many years, except for when we went hunting prior to mining the many seams of coal in the area in the 1980s. Prior to then, a good four-wheel drive truck or SUVs, before they became known as such, could take you near to the watershed between Coldwater and Wolf Creek. Now, the many different types of recreation vehicles known as four-wheelers and side-by-sides can still access these areas from different directions. It was on one of those hunting trips to an area where we always camped out on the evening of the first day of squirrel season, where there were many for hunting and ultimately eating them. We always knew the area as the mouth of Bridge Hollow, 
and it was a large sandy area formed by a loop in a small cold water stream. I always dreaded going there, as there was a picket fence that was still standing, where my dad would always tell me about the grisly event that occurred there. According to the legend, back in the 1800s, a man lost his good coon dog and was told it was on the farm of a local neighbor near him in Lindbark Fork. The man who lost his coon dog went to the place to inquire about the dog and the owner came to his fence and was talking to the guy while standing there at his fence. An argument ensued between them and the man who lost his dog, well, he lost his temper. One commonality in the men of those days was the lengths of their beards which reached way down on their abdomen. Think of Phil of the modern day Duck Dynasty and his long beard. Well, the man who lost his dog pulled out his bowie knife in one hand and with the other grabbed the homeowner's beard, pulled his neck out over the fence and sliced his head off, leaving it sitting on one of the pickets in the fence. Dad always said that on the day that that occurred each year, blood could be seen on the fence. Now, I don't know if that was factual or if he was trying to scare me, but it always shivered me when I saw that still-standing fence either going or coming through the area. It was always dark in that area as it lied between two mountains and was located near the creek in the bottom of that particular topography. I have to say that whenever I found myself in Lindbark, I always had a foreboding feeling like the air was heavier or that something was just off. It was not a pleasant feeling one of dread, and you didn't have to be near the fence to feel it. Even when I was a young teenager and rode a nice dirt bike, I stayed out of Lindbark and chose to ride Old Road Fork and the many local gas company roads that were built there for just great off-road riding. One Friday evening, in the late fall when all the leaves were off the trees, Dad informed me that we were going to the mouth of Bridge Hollow to hunt squirrels early the next morning. In the head of Bridge Hollow was a very low gap, and two little finger ridges coming down the mountain, and we were going to meet some of his friends from the mines where he worked, whom I also knew and liked. They were going to come in from the Wolf Creek Divide of the watershed, and we were all going to hunt and meet in that gap from the cold water side. I agreed to go with him, though somewhat reluctantly because I had planned to sleep in a little on Saturday morning before I tackled some ongoing chores of clearing sumac bushes on the hillside around our house. Now, he and I were the only two going in his recently new 4x4 Chevrolet Blazer, which was capable of making that trek through the creeks and the occasional muddy road that came up out of the creek to miss deeper holes of water and slick rocks in the creek. The gas company maintained those so-called roads that we used to reach the uppermost portions of the stream where plenty of squirrels were always found. We got to the old camping area a little after daylight had hit, but it was still not quite light as we were in the bottoms of the tall mountains and it would be hours before we could see the sun overhead. As soon as I got out of the blazer, I felt something. Again, like dread. This time, though, it was stronger. Dad told me that he was going to hunt right-hand finger ridge heading to the gap in the mountain ridge and, well, I'd take the left-hand finger ridge and we would meet each other and our friends in the gap. I steeled myself for something I really wasn't crazy about, but it made my dad happy to have me hunting with him, and I would do it to make him feel good about his only son. I dreaded it as I opened the truck door and got my 12-gauge shotgun out to head up my assigned haunting area, but something kept bugging me. Actually, one of the things I noticed was I had a definite feeling that I was being watched. I kept my head on a swivel around the truck with Dad, and I was a little spooked, a feeling I normally didn't have while I was out roaming in the woods. We broke up with me being reluctant, and well, I went to a place directly in front of the truck where I could cross the creek without getting too wet, while Dad had to go up on the creek to cross it to begin his hunt on the other ridge. I tossed aside my feelings, knowing Dad had sent me to the tallest strands of hickory trees and I was into the hunting, but I had to make some elevation up after the ridge I crossed in Coldwater Creek to reach these large groves of trees where I thought I'd most likely find squirrels. The creek was, at the time, about 8 to 10 feet wide and about 6 to 8 inches deep, which was a good trickle since we were so far up in the creek. I got about 50 feet of vertical elevation behind me and my wind began to run out. 
You see, the secret to hunting squirrels was, one, be quiet walking, and two, listen for the cutting droppings from the squirrels hulling into the huge hickory nuts, and two, their barking to each other that they had found food. I was following an old logging road up the hill that was only passable by walking, and the road was made by a small bulldozer pulling logs down the hill a long time ago. I was on the inside portion of the road as I was climbing and took my first stop to rest, to catch my breath, and to listen for squirrel activity. With a start, I noticed the second thing that was bothering me. As I listened, all I could hear was my heart hammering from the short climb. There were no usual sounds of chipmunks running through the leaves squeaking for each other. No songbirds, no raptor birds hunting, and no wind in the trees. Nothing. As my heart normalized, I heard it. Complete and deafening silence in the forest with me, and I had been in the forest of cold water since I could barely keep up with Dad, and this new sound never happens. The sound of complete and total silence. Now I was spooked as I strained my ears to hear anything but to no avail. I stood there for a few minutes when I heard my first sound and it chilled me to my bone. I heard a splash in the creek downstream from where I had crossed, and at first, and it was barely audible when I first heard it. It continually splashed as if something large was running with large, broad, bipedal strides up the creek toward me. I knew it wasn't Dad because he went up the creek, and this was advancing up the creek well below our vehicle. I could not see the creek where I crossed, so I sought out a new sightline towards the stream. I knew that if I moved over to where I crossed on the other side of the logging road that I could almost see the creek. And so I did, and I wanted to see what kind of animal this was. Uh, and even though every hair on me was standing upright, I knew what I needed to do. I began a mental checklist of what normal things it could be. Was it a deer running up the creek? No. I ruled out a deer as it is four-legged and the splashing would have been a lot different. Could it have been a bear? No, again, four-legged, and the rhythm would be different. It had to be bipedal because the sound was like splash, splash, splash. And a normal man's would be like splash, splash, splash. By the time this thing was nearing, I moved over to the opposite side of the little road and climbed up on a mound of dirt the bulldozer had left behind to see as much of the creek as I could. As the sounds of the splashing got louder, I began to shake and was frightened out of my wits of the unknown. I tried to calm myself. After all, I was armed with a large shotgun with a legal amount of three shells in the gun. Whatever it was, it was now loud, and it was at the crossing where I had crossed, and it kept going upstream. Suddenly, I saw movement in an area about 20 feet upstream. All I could do was see, like what looked like a head of long brown hair, and this creature continually ran up the creek to where my dad had been moments earlier. It's not hard to remember what I saw because it's been seared into my head forever. It was a head that was brownish in color, darkening toward the top and unlike anything I had seen before. I recalled that it, it didn't look like a person's head because it was sort of flattened and conical. All I could see was the back of its skull and it never turned towards me, but it kept going. The splashing soon faded off in the distance, just like it had come into the quietness. Forget about squirrels and meeting friends in the gap. I decided I did not want to run into whatever this thing was, and I began to creep back to the relative safety of the blazer. This hunt was over for me. As I eased back down the creek, I dreaded looking toward where it had gone. But I made myself do it. And I can see why I didn't see all of it. You see, over the eons, the little stream had cut back into softer rock and eroded, making a hook in the creek and depositing sediments in the area where we set up our tents when we were camping in the area. The erosion had eaten into the softer rock near the stream, and it left a ledge of harder stone overhanging about half the creek. I momentarily gauged the height that was now only about 15 or 20 feet away from me, and it the thing had to be probably seven to eight feet in height from the creek up. That meant it had to be probably eight or nine feet high for me to have seen it. That rocked my young world and I dashed towards the blazer. 
I quietly opened the passenger door and closed it as quiet as possible, not wanting this thing to hear me. And I locked both doors and climbed into the large back seat where I thought I could make a better stand against it if it ever came back. I was shivering uncontrollably, and it wasn't because of the lack of heat. I was too afraid to start the engine thinking that it would hear it, and it would come back to investigate, and I did not want that to happen. My trusty 12-gauge was still loaded. Hunters never had a loaded shotgun in their vehicle, and I was aware of this cardinal sin. But I had it loaded in case I had to back up to the opposite side of the bench seat and fire through the window at this creature. Yes, creature was what it was because I had never seen anything that big in the woods that had to have walked upright, and I had never heard any stories about it. I stayed there for what seemed like the whole morning. When actually about two and a half hours later, Dad popped out of the brush where I had entered earlier that morning. He had gotten to the gap and didn't run into his friends, but of course, I wasn't there. He was a little worried and came down to the left flank on the course that I was supposed to be taking up the hill and made it back to the truck and then saw me in the back seat with my shotgun in my lap quivering. It was chilly and his hands were cold. The door levers were horizontal latches and he just assumed I had gotten tired, lazy, or just lost, and we left the truck unlocked as no one was around. He tried to open the door. The handle just snapped back because it was locked and it caught his cold fingers and he let out a little yelp of pain. Unlock this door, son. What do you have the doors locked for? I reached up and unlocked his door and he opened it. And he looked at me in the back seat with a large shotgun and he had an expression of being a little aggravated because my action had stung his fingers pretty good. He looked between the driver's seat and the door into the back where I was and he said, What's wrong with you? You look white as a sheet. Now, I didn't want my father to think that I was crazy. I just wanted out of there, so I just mumbled. Nothing. He asked, Why didn't you come up to the gap? There were squirrels everywhere. I even got my limit. I mumbled again. I just didn't make it. Dad kept staring at me the whole time, and his face sort of softened from his original scowl. He asked, what happened? Knowing that ordinarily I would have climbed up there looking for squirrels and ultimately him. Mumbling again, I said, nothing. And he just kept staring at me. Then a look came over his face again, and he looked away, and it seemed like he was searching Ram in his memory banks as he was thinking about what had happened. He turned his gaze back to me, and it softened some more, and he said, you saw something, didn't you? I mumbled a non-committal grunt, and he continued to hold me in his stare. After a few seconds, he said, Well, son, it's gone now. Now let's go home. Also, is that gun loaded? I nodded my head affirmatively, and he told me to unload it before I shot one of us. So I unloaded it, stuck it back in its storage bag, and turned around in the seat and put it in the back. I was not about to step out of that truck to unload it and go to the back and open up the glass and lay it in. No, no. I wanted no part in being outside at the time. He got in and I climbed up into the front seat and we left. From the way he looked at me and looked off like he was searching his memory, I still believe to this day that he had run across something similar in his time in those woods, but long ago. He never spoke of it again to me on the way home or ever. From that time on, I still went into the woods behind our home for a walk to clear my head or out of curiosity. There were a couple of times after that that I would instantly notice that the forest suddenly got quiet and still. As soon as that would happen, I would set off for home in overdrive, because I did not want another encounter of that type again. But the story does not end here. Later, after all of my cousin's parents and mine had passed away... All 68 first cousins were really close, and someone decided that we needed to have a primitive camping trip back in the area in Lindbark where the family had originally settled that had a good camping place near the old community where they lived, and we'd have a primitive homecoming camping in the woods. Being with each other in the woods we all loved was great. This was around 2015 for the first get-together, and my back had bad problems that surgery just could not repair. I had good days and 
had bad days, mostly bad days, as I was in constant pain. I saw all the pictures they had and the fun they were having and promised myself I'd go if I could have some good days with my back. I had heard some murmurings of strange things going on during these camping trips, and with my memory of what had happened to me, I learned about Bigfoot and Sasquatch and decided I was going to face my fears while in my late 50s. One of my cousins had a full-time, powerful, but comfortable Polaris Razor off-roader that they all thought I could ride in, and my female cousin that owned it told me she would bring me and my equipment to the camping site. I was so excited. We set off in September on a Friday evening around 4.30 p.m. It got dark around 7 p.m., so I wanted to be there before dark. Everyone was glad to pitch in and load the razor with mine and my cousin sister stuff who rode in one of the two back seats and away we went. I was reveling in the fact that I was finally in my beloved mountains where I had spent a lot of time in my youth. I was looking outside the window beside the driver just taking it all in. Just as we passed up Old Road Fork and started up Lindbark, I yelled at my cousin to stop. I saw something that after watching many shows on TV and reading lots of books about Bigfoot and Sasquatch made my blood turn cold. After she stopped, I asked her to back up a little way and then stop again. I showed both of them a tree on the side of the road that was about 8 to 10 inches in diameter, snapped completely off and splintered about 10 feet in the air. The way it looked was like a twig that was snapped off, but it was that high in the air. From what I learned... It was that Bigfoot would snap a large tree off as a boundary marker. Then my two cousins wanted to know what I was looking at, and I pointed it out to them. They were amazed, for they realized it had been snapped off way up off the ground. Something with amazing strength had snapped it like a twig. One asked me what did that, and I showed them no other trees in the immediate area that were like that or even blown over. One of them asked, what does it mean? And I was hesitant to tell them in fear of frightening them. But I said, From what I've read and seen on TV, it could be a boundary marker for a Bigfoot. The one in the back seat said, You're right, I've seen stuff like this on TV. I told them it was probably nothing. And off we set for about ten minutes of riding in silence until we reached camp where there were several others. We set about setting up my tent. My cousins wouldn't hear of me even doing it. They knew, of course, about my back, and so they did it for me. The last thing that went in my tent was my old shotgun. Yes, the one I had had with me on my first encounter. But this time, instead of small shot for squirrels, I had unplugged the barrel and had it fully loaded with five rounds of double-odd buckshot powerful stuff for self-protection. We all sat around the fire, talking and catching up, for I hadn't seen many of them for years, pretty much just at funerals. We were all laughing and having a good time until the clock struck 6.30pm, about a quarter hour before darkness set in. All of a sudden, we hear a huge snap, and a tree fall not far from us on the southern flank of the mountain immediately to our west. Now the thing was, this was no ordinary tree falling when you heard the thud of it hitting the ground, and then hearing a second following thud as it settled to the ground. No, this one sounded like it was thrown backwards down the mountain, and then the momentum of it carried it way down the hill. Several of my cousins screamed and said that there must be a bear in the area. I never saw so many firearms appear so quickly in a couple of heartbeats, including handguns from even my female cousins. I knew we had to have a substantial tree thrown at us just out of our sight to frighten us away. We talked about it for a few minutes and decided to go back to our normal ways. But I filed this one away as another encounter with a Bigfoot. I slept with my shotgun where I could grab it in a quick instance. At about 4 o'clock in the morning, I awoke with a full bladder. With trepidation, I got my brightest headlight on and quietly unzipped my tent door so I could get rid of a couple Pepsis I had ingested that evening. We actually had a potty tent set up outside of camp for girls, and uh, I didn't see any light in it, but I was afraid to let fly right outside of camp, so I steeled myself away and walked down to the water to urinate. While this was going on, I felt that feeling again, that I was being watched. I shined my big headlamps around and saw no eye shine or anything, but I didn't shine it into the woods on the hillside directly beside me. 
I felt like something was there. I got up the nerve to do so, and then the next thing I remember was waking up a little before 7am in my tent, and looking up and seeing a little bit of light coming in through the tent. I didn't remember zipping up my pants, walking back to the tent, getting in, or anything else since I was last peeing in the creek and looking up on top to that mountainside. Somehow I had lost about two and a half hours of time. In the tent I found my light off of my head and it was still on. It was shining straight down in the tent. Now I know I would have turned it off to save the special batteries it used. I didn't say anything to anyone because they would have had a hard time believing me. But I had a bad headache that continued to worsen. You see, our plan was to leave everything and go back to civilization to have a potluck lunch with some of our other cousins that couldn't make it up to the camp due to physical ailments or age. When I go back to my sister's house where I parked my car, I all of a sudden had a full-blown migraine. I laid out on one of her recliners and took my medication to alleviate a migraine and put a towel over my head to block out the light. I told my cousins I was going back to Lexington and they offered to get my tent and anything else I had left. After a couple of hours, I headed down the mountain parkway trying to recall those two and a half hours last night that I had lost, but nothing came to mind. I kept coming back to the fact that the last thing I remember was looking up into that hillside and then waking up in my tent. I drove back to Lexington, nursing my migraine, got home, showered, and crawled into bed. After a couple of days, I decided to contact one of my cousins who had camped out with us to find out what had, if anything, happened on Saturday. I was especially interested because some of the campers had posted pictures of a doe deer coming down off the mountain that the tree was thrown at us and staying in the creek. It stayed with my cousins for a while. Now, while deer and elk are plentiful here, they are not tame in any way, and the sight of a human makes them bold. I noticed in the photographs that the deer was looking right at them and came within 15 feet of some of the campers. To me, the deer looked like it was frightened and my cousin said it was out of breath with its sides heaving in and out and stayed there until it calmed down for approximately 10 minutes. I looked back at the photos and noticed its wide open eyes. I surmised that the deer was frightened. From my research, deer and elk are primary food sources for Sasquatches. I believe that this deer narrowly escaped death from the hands of the huge cryptid and would rather spend some time with humans whom the Sasquatch did not appear to bother. My cousin said it was just so strange that a doe came into camp and spent time with them. I asked my cousin if anything else had happened, and her reply was quick. Oh, yeah! First, she said that about dark Saturday night, a loud roar that tailed off into a higher-pitched yelp, nothing anyone there had ever heard before, came down from the side of the mountain. She said that it was so loud you could feel it vibrate off your breastbone. It actually scared them very badly, and once again, the guns came out. Again, my research shows that this is common for a Sasquatch to vocalize in a loud roar, tailing off into a higher noise in order that it might intimidate a human or other animal. I'm totally convinced that having seen one in my early years and seeing high up snapped off trees, and now hearing the tales of my cousins whom I believe wholeheartedly of the sights and sounds of the deer and the unknown beast makes me believe. Now here's where the tale turns paranormal. My cousin told me that after the roar from the mountain, it was not much longer before they all went to bed. All of my cousins turned in early due to tiredness and stress and hit their tents. My cousin that was telling me this said that for some reason she just woke up in the middle of the night. She hesitantly opened a large enough opening in her one-person tent to stick a portion of her head out to survey the camping area. Looking directly at the camp table, she saw a shadow figure staring down at the same table where we always eat. I asked her to describe to the best of her abilities what she saw. She said it was darker than dark, and darker than the fire embers behind it, and it was just staring at the table. She said it was tall, had on a rather large hat and a very long beard. I almost choked, because I don't think she knew about the grisly encounter at the fence further upstream. I don't think the girls in the family knew the story, but the boys surely did. She was describing an old mountain man from around the time of the encounter at the picket fence. I asked again if she was seeing it out of her periphery vision or head-on, and she, without hesitation, said head-on. Then she told me that he just faded out, and you could no longer see him, 
but you could see the glowing embers in the fire pit again from her point of view. The next year came up time for the wilderness reunion, and again my back was acting up and I couldn't go. But I was able to view pictures of their trip, and I decided to contact my cousin again. I asked her if she saw the shadow figure again. She replied, no, but I did see a ghost. I said, a ghost? Do you mean like a spooky old bedsheet with eyes cut out or what? She said no. She said it was a balding guy that had a slight glow about him and he was dressed like he was going to work or something. She said he walked right into the camp while she was looking out of her tent and just kept walking downstream until he disappeared. This stirred a memory in the back of my head. Where we were camping was just downstream from where one of our coal haulage roads crossed Lindbar Creek. Coming down the mountain was a half-mile road set on a 10% grade. A truck driver lost his brakes at the top of the slope while empty, and he could not contain the truck from running away from him. When he got to the bottom of the grade, he tried to make the turn across Limbar Creek and rolled the truck over and over on the downstream side of the crossing. He was killed instantly in a horrific crash. After thinking about that then and now, the truck ended up lying in an area where a different cousin pitched his tent. I believe that this was the ghost of the truck driver wandering the earth, wondering what happened to his brakes. Many strange things happened in Lindbark, even until today. Am I going in September 12, 2019? If I am up to it, yes. I am going to go and perhaps witness one of these things that my cousin told me about. Also, Bigfoot and I have some unfinished business to attend to. I want to know where I was for two and a half hours when I camped out there. You were at uh, Bigfoot's Potluck. Bigfoot's Potluck? Yes. Now, so this is eastern Kentucky. This is mm-hmm. in Martin County. This is right on the river, so it's right across from West Virginia. It's actually further east than, like, Harlan or Paintsville or places like that. So this is deep in the Appalachians. Uh, I really like that. That was um, – we, we've had a lot of listener stories between the podcast and this one, and that was probably the most detailed yeah. that we've ever had and the one that – I'm I'm hesitant on the Bigfoot phenomenon. Like I'm I'm fifty fifty on mm-hmm. is it real is it not? He makes me feel like it's real. Yeah, because you could tell he's a skeptic, like he was, and he did his own research over time and yeah. things like that. And everything was consistent with the tales. Mm-hmm. And you know, and then things his cousin said that he wasn't even a part of also fit that narrative. Because I know, because I used to go camping a lot when I was younger uh, with a friend of mine. His uncle had a cabin out in Harrison County. He's in the middle of nowhere. We had a creek and all that. And I can recall being out super late at night, you know, by the fire and, you know, seeing eyes in the woods and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And I understand that deafening silence he's talking about where everything just goes cold yeah. for no reason. I've experienced that. Um, but I've, I've never had an encounter like that. And that's incredible. Yeah, it was really good. Uh, so it does make you want to grab your closest firearm. Yeah, when it goes silent like that. So thank you so much Absolutely. for sending us that story, and uh, we got to get out of here. That's our time. But man, if y'all see some squatch, squatch watch twenty nineteen. Let us know. Don't forget hashtag softbeak. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you guys for tuning in every Sunday at nine p.m. here on WCHQ one hundred point nine FM. Don't forget to download the WCHQ app. Uh, and real quickly, if you guys want to follow our podcast as well as us, check us out uh, on Instagram and Twitter and all that at Fearscape Pod. Yeah. And you can check out our podcast. It is for adults only. Uh, it is at DestinationComics.com slash DNN. Look for Fearscape or find us free on Stitcher, iTunes, SoundCloud, and TuneIn. We always free. Always free. Anyways, uh, thank you guys for tuning in. I have been Stefan. I will catch you on the flip side. And I've been Brad. Hold those blankies. Extra time. Good night, folks. Indian legends tell about a big hairy man that roamed for many years throughout their land. White men laughed and said these legends weren't true. But now old Bigfoot has made man a fool. Bigfoot roams throughout his forest land. Feet twice the size of any man With the moon shining bright on a running stream You can hear him yelling His mournful scream Scientists believe he's a missing link Some people say that he's extinct Others say something from a bad old dream But listen to Bigfoot Hey, more
beautiful screen Bigfoot is a friend of all the wildlife band He feeds a little raccoon right from his hand While the old chipmunk sets a chattering on his knee Happiness blinds him So he scarcely can see Bigfoot's very cunning while walking his grounds His pet's a bear and cougar keep away man's hounds Rising from the ground, smacking dust from his seat With a great big smile Slowly makes his retreat Scientists believe he's a missing link Some people think that he's extinct Others say something from the battle dream But listen to Bigfoot A mournful scream Pretty soon modern day man's so sane Will try and take Bigfoot from his domain The tranquilizer guns that sting and smart His heels a whole sadness And heavy hearts Scientists believe he's a messing link Some people think that he's extinct Others say something from the battle dream But listen to Bigfoot A mournful scream 